Welcome to room 4216. I'm so glad you've come. Reading the Bible can be difficult. Not to mention understanding it. Having a disability, whether blindness or another, can be difficult too. Sometimes a person wonders if God is even there. Yeah, but in room 4216... God shows us his path and we find... We are not alone. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. It, didn't I just say that? Uh, I was trying to copy you. Copycat. Mm-hmm. It's Pastor Dave. And Cecilia. Oh, you didn't copy me there. No. It's good to be back with you here in room... 4216. You remembered the number. I did. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if you're going to go to 4217, but... Well, you know, I almost did that once. Did and, uh, you? When I was trying to, to save the uh, the lesson. And, uh, uh, when I was so what did we do last week? Well, we talked about Ruth chapter 1. And what did we talk about in Ruth chapter 1? We talked about Ruth. Oh. And we talked about... That's profound. Yes, it was. Mm. And we talked about Naomi, and we talked about how Ruth and Naomi uh, came from uh, Moab after uh, Naomi's husband and sons died, and Mm. how they came uh, to Bethlehem, which is where Naomi was from. We tried to relate to people that tragedies happen throughout history and and major tragedies can happen as it was in Naomi's life. She lost it all mm-hmm. and yet even in the midst of losing it all, uh, Ruth was there for her. I can't help but think that God sent Ruth to her oh, and that. at the same time God engendered faith in Ruth. Even as uh, she learned from her husband of only a short time of the Lord and his faithfulness. And so we ended up with uh, Ruth and Naomi coming back to Bethlehem. And so today we pick up with Ruth chapter 2. Let's begin reading at verse 2 of chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. So these two women come back after being gone for a long time from the land of Israel and around Bethlehem. And um, poor, both are widows. What do you do? What really is the life of a single gal, a widow in Israel? It really doesn't say. We do know, though, that this is the area in which Naomi grew up in, married her husband. They did have land, we'll find out later on, but it was already mortgaged to the hilt, as they mm-hmm. say. And uh, so she wasn't coming back to land, but there was family. It said that the whole town knew her mm-hmm. uh, from chapter 1. Back then, even as today, when a relative shows up at the door, poor, broke, having a bad luck upon bad luck, 
usually you'll take them in. And so odds are, though it doesn't say, Naomi was probably taken in by a relative, and for food, she would help out in the house. As often is the case, there are many children that need to be cared for in order so the wife maybe can go work in the fields. So probably Naomi did a bunch of babysitting. And Ruth, wanting to be helpful, instead of doing that, suggested that she go to the fields to see about collecting grain. Many years ago, wheat or barley were harvested by hand. For those who don't know, a stalk of wheat is between 18 inches and 2 feet long, and the last few inches are made up of a head, which is made up of many, many seeds or kernels that are packed tightly together. And the men would go first, and they would cut down the stalks of wheat, and then the women would come behind them, and tie these stalks into bundles or sheaves. Invariably, some of the grain would fall to the ground. And in Leviticus 19, God tells his people, don't pick up the leftover grain that's on the ground. Let those who are poor or who are foreigners in the land pick that up and have it for themselves. This picking up of the leftover kernels is called gleaning. picking up from verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the fields and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So, who is this guy, Boaz? Mm, well, you know, you did skip verse 1 in chapter 2. Uh, oh, yeah. Why don't you I... read that? That should help you. I guess I did. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was her husband, a man of good standing whose name was Boaz. Okay, so he's a relative of her husband's, mm -hmm. but that doesn't tell me who he is. Okay. He's in the ancestry of uh, King David, going back a couple generations. Oh, uh, like, uh, how much? I guess we better look at a Bible then and see what it actually says. Okay. Let's see. Audio Bible? I think that'll be too noisy for our listeners. Let me mm. get a, a, a Braille copy. Okay. There uh, we go. We need the... You got it? There we go. Yep. I'm giving you the Gospel of Matthew. Okay. It'll be chapter 1, bound verse 4 or 5. It's in the genealogy, the list scene. Oh, uh, that long list of names? Yeah. Just kind of skim through to find it, if you could. To find what? Uh, well, Boaz. Oh, oh. That's okay. what we're looking for, remember? Oh, yeah. Remember? Hello, hello. Um, do, 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 do. 
Oh, salmon. Yes, like the fish. This is verse 5. The father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. See, there you go. Boaz is in the line of King David. And King David, of course, is in the line of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Let me read that again. All right. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, as in the prostitute? Um, yeah, it would be. Oh, my gosh. In uh, Judges 2... If I remember right. Uh, actually, the... it's Joshua 2. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not remembering right then. Thank you. Thank you. That's why we have two here on the show. <laughs> right. Um, in, in that book of chapter 2, uh, the the uh, Israelites came over the uh, over the, the, uh, over over the, the bridge. Jordan. Over the bridge. The, you know, the bridge. The, the River Jordan. The Jordan Bridge. Yeah, they came over the Jordan Bridge. And uh, you weren't going to get me on that one? They sent... Uh, <sighs> Yes, well, the Jordan River, thank you. Actually, they sent two spies. Yep. And the spies were in uh, Jericho, the city of Jericho, in the Promised Land. And they hid in the house of Rahab, who was a prostitute. And uh, the king of Jericho came out and said, "Uh, send out the men that you have, because I know they're hiding in your house. Uh, uh, I think they went that way. Uh, down the road, and, mm-hmm. and then she asked that they, that spies, that is, protect her and her household when Israel came to take over the land, and they kept their promise, and the Lord spared uh, Rahab and all her people, and Rahab married into uh, the line of um, King David and Jesus Christ. And so Rahab's son was this Boaz. Can't you just imagine some of the stories as Boaz was growing up? Mommy, tell me about what it was like being a kid. And talk- tell me what it was like when the spies came. Yeah. And, and he would have rem- remembered these stories of how yes. she, a foreigner, left her country, her people, and trusted and believed in Yahweh. And yet she must have felt pretty lonely and pretty rejected because... Well, first, she was foreign to Israel, and second, she was a prostitute. I can't imagine that people were all that friendly toward her. All of that went through Boaz's mind as he saw this foreigner who was so kind to one of his uh, uh, kinsmen, Naomi. shows himself to be a kind, compassionate man. He is a rich man, as he has workers under him, including a foreman supervising other workers. But Boaz just doesn't leave the work up to the him, but comes out and checks the fields himself, and greets them with a wonderful greeting from the Lord. 
So again, Boaz shows himself to be not just a kind man, but a godly man. When Boaz asks about the new person gleaning, he gets the report from his foreman. He takes great interest. We continue with reading chapter 2, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean from another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes, that you should notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Cecilia, did I ever tell you how the the task of cleaning bathrooms uh, came to be my weekly task? Um, let's see, you've told me a lot of stories, but I <laughs> don't think you've told me that one. We had Grandma staying with us. This is years and years ago, Deb's grandmother. And uh, finally, uh, she became too sick for Deb to care for. She had to go to a nursing home. And I said to Deb, Deb, you need to get out of this house and get a job. Not for the money, I was thinking, but just to help her. Because she was with Grandma so much. And Grandma had dementia and was really taxing and wearing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of wore down Deb's self-esteem and just personhood. And, and I knew she just needed to be with some people. I said, go get a job. Well, who's going to clean the house? Who's going to clean the bathrooms? And I said, okay, I'll clean them on my day off. Will you go out? And okay, okay, she said. And that's how I started cleaning the bathrooms. It was such a noble thing. It was such an honorable thing. Yes. Such a dignified thing that I, her husband, would look and after a her. And that. And would clean the bathrooms so that she can go out and be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wonder if that's what happened here with Ruth. I will stay with you, Naomi. Your people will be mine. I will go where you. I'll die where you. Don't make me go away. Okay. And then when they got there, 
And the next morning she woke up. She, I wonder if she thought, what did I just get myself <laughs> into? Yes, I understand that one. And it's like, well, I'm here. I best do the thing I said and go out and find a job and figure out how to feed us because we're starving. I can't help but think that's what Ruth thought early in the morning. And she did. She carried through with that noble, honorable thing and actually did so with great humility, um, working very, very hard to both honor her mother-in-law and herself and her God. Pastor Dave, it's great to talk about how hardworking and industrious and humble Ruth was. But <laughs> She is really quite an admirable image to live up to. Yes, she is. And it's not that I don't admire that, but I'm guessing that there are some who are listening who may be feeling embarrassed or ashamed or uh, uncomfortable because they're not working. Okay, tell me a little bit more. I'm not sure I follow yet. Well... Ruth had uh, two hands, two ears, two eyes, two feet. As far as we know, she had no disability. Okay. But there are those of us who do, who aren't working, or some can't. And how do we know when it's okay to let the government help and take care of us, and when we really should be out there looking for or engaging in some kind of employment. Okay. In part, I think you've answered the question even as you asked the question. Excuse me? Yeah. You said, best we know, Ruth had two hands, two feet, two eyes. She was fully capable of doing it. It isn't that she sat around and said, well, Mommy... Um, you're babysitting, so I'll just sit here and I'll just watch. She said, I am capable, so to speak, I'm saying, uh, I'm capable, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to see what I can do in finding a job and earn some food or some money for us. Yeah. And so when one is capable, they should. When one is not capable... That's when the the gift of the government or the good sight of the government's uh, foresight is very, very helpful in helping those who are unable to work. But, but people expect those of us who are disabled to be just like everyone else, to be as hard a worker as Ruth was. To go out there and get a job. Ah, that's an interesting word, expectations. We're expected. And, And that's really where the rub, as they say, 
enters in. I think it's only fair, Cecilia, that we tell our listeners as we were doing our studies, uh, one of the commentaries uh, referred to this, and that's why we thought maybe we should pick this subject up. Mm-hmm. Though we did not plan out this conversation. That is correct. We did not. And, and the commentary literally said, Ruth is a perfect example of mm-hmm. how every young person should be industrious, hardworking, and, and uh, 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 work, and, and thereby... And no, if you're poor, you should go and find work and, and earn your keep and... Almost and, implying you're poor only because you're not working. Yes, and I, here I am squirming going, oh, mm-hmm. I don't like this. When the law or examples, the law meaning uh, statements or principles are used by which we should live up to, or examples are used, and then it's turned around to say, and you better do it, often it sets the person up for an immediate failure. Yes, I because understand Because we can't live up to images and laws. That's part of what we are in that we are sinful people. We, we do stumble. We do fall. We don't fulfill everything that we should be. By the way, it's probably the best place to say it in this whole episode, and that's why it's such a comforting thing that we have a Savior, a Savior who rescues us not just from sin, death, and the devil, but he rescues us from false... Um, what am I looking for, Cecilia? False... Um, um, goals, false, uh, expectations. false expectations. When Jesus says, I forgive you, meaning he took our sins away, he's brought us into a new realm and world, you might say. And this, this is getting far afield from, from our Ruth story, but... That's what we do here. Uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Instead of trying to earn God's pleasure and satisfaction by what, and favor by what we do... We now earn it by trusting in his son, going on his coattails, being covered and clothed by his goodness, his righteousness given to us. We're free from those things, and, that's what, and, and now we can live thankful lives. Everything we do now is out of thankfulness and praise to him for what he's done for us. Okay, now let's bring that smack dab back to the topic. Mm-hmm, okay. Well, since I'm forgiven, then I'll pick on myself here. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to decide that, all right, the government has enough money to support me and I can stay at home and enjoy my baseball games and my, my reading and everything else. Well, why do you want to know? Uh, is the reason so you can be a slug or is it so that you don't feel guilty that you don't have a job. So every question has two sides to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. A professor always asks, "Why do you want to know?" And if it's just so you can get away with something, then the answer is no. You, you. So if you have legitimate opportunities and abilities, well, then no, it's it's not right to just let the government take care of you. But if it's because yeah, not letting the government take care of you is because you don't have job have opportunities and you've tried and there's just nothing. Then to feel free of the guilt and say, I've tried, I've done, 
And and so now I'll serve the Lord in different ways? Then yes. Oh, that makes sense. Boy, we really got sidetracked yes, there for a we moment. Did. We didn't get to finish chapter two. Um, no. So, can you quickly summarize what took place in chapter two? Sure, I think so. Uh, Boaz invited Ruth to eat with him and his harvesters, and uh, he gave her so much that she even had leftovers. And then he told his men to make sure to leave behind some extra grain that she could pick up. And he also said, and don't embarrass her, don't rebuke her. And Ruth gathered about an ephah of grain, which was quite a bit for someone to gather in one day. And she took it home, and Naomi said, where did you glean today? And Ruth said, the man's name was Boaz, and I went in his fields. And Naomi was delighted, and she said, Boaz is a relative of ours. One effa. What mm-hmm. is an effa? I'm so glad you asked. Uh-huh. I did my homework. Yeah. An effa is about a bushel. Well, okay. okay, a bushel. <laughs> what is a bushel? A bushel is four pecks. <sighs> I'll peck you. Peck, peck, peck. <laughs> well, how, what is a peck? A peck is eight quarts or two gallons. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the way I felt when I was researching this. So, so we got uh, an effa would be um, four pecks, and, and a peck was... Uh, it would be eight gallons altogether. Eight gallons. Okay, we got eight gallons. Mm-hmm. Eight gallons, so like eight gallons of milk sitting next to each other. That is a lot. Yeah, and she had to carry that back to the city all on her own. Now, um, just to compare now, I, I, my wife does like making bread and all that, so I kind of know, I'm thinking of uh, when she makes bread, she uses three cups of flour. Mm-hmm. Now, a cup, the, how many cups are in a gallon? Uh, uh, that's, uh, Let's see, how many cups are in a pint? Uh, two. two. And how many pints are in a quart? Uh, two. Two. And how many quarts in a gallon? Four. four, so we've got two, four, sixteen cups to a gallon, and we had how many gallons? We eight, had eight. Eight, so that's 128 cups. Of wheat. Of wheat. Oh, how much, oh, that's, that's of the grain wheat. How much, uh, it, it, when you grain it to, to grind it to be a flour? It takes one cup of wheat to make a cup and a half of flour. So That's it makes more. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So another half. So instead of 128, it would be another half of that. So about 180 cups of flour. Uh, something. And my like wife that. says it takes three cups for one, a pound and a half of flour in her flour, in her, in her, in her uh, bread maker. Mm-hmm. That's 60 loaves of bread. Wow. I'm guessing if you really pinch it tight, uh, two people, Ruth and Naomi, could live on one of those pound and a half loaves of bread in a day. Several slices, morning, Mm -hmm. night. That's 
60 Remember, that was probably days Yeah, of that was food. probably all they ate, or mostly all they ate. <laughs> it's amazing. God provided just what they needed. You know, in my research, I think I found a recipe that they might have used for bread back in the Old Testament. Really? I can't wait to try it myself. Well, and if you would like to try it, well, write us. Uh-huh. You can do so at info, I-N-F-O, at not-alone, N-O-T-A-L-O-N-E dot net. And we'll send you that recipe. Give it a try. Let us know what you think. Or if you want to tell us what, uh, or send us your recipe for a bread. What a good We'd idea. love that, too. Mm-hmm. Or if you have other ideas, other thoughts, If concerns, you want to tell us how much you like sidetracks. Um, or Star Treks. <laughs> that, too. Um, and, or if you have prayer requests. Again, any of that, we would love to hear from you. It's info at notalone.net. Until next time, we, we are, are not alone. alone. Credits. Our sincere thanks go to Terry Nord and Robert Vaughn for their interlude music.